Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 225. We're just concluding the second day of Rosh Chedesh El, which began yesterday on Shabbos, was the 30th of Av, which also is the first day of Rosh Chedesh, first day of the new month. And the second day is today, Sunday, Rosh Chedesh El. And this actually begins the counting of El, so it's actually the first day of El. There are two opinions when Moshe went up on the mountain for the third time to ask and beseech God for compassion and forgiveness for the Jewish people. There's an opinion that it was on the 30th of Av, and there's another first day of Rosh Chedesh, and the other opinion that it was on Rosh Chedesh, the first day of El. This is relevant regarding to when you start blowing Shefer, and Shulchan Aruch brings the different commentaries. In this case, in this year, obviously, Shabbos was Rosh Chedesh, you don't blow Shefer anyway, the first day. But definitely, according to all opinions, Moshe is already now either going on the mountain or already on the mountain with the last 40 days. As we know, he received the Torah on Shavuos. 40 days later, 39 days later, 40 days later, Moshe comes down from the mountain with the luchis, with the tablets that were heard by the Jewish people, by the Seres Hadibras, the Ten Commands that were heard by Matan Torah, but they had built a golden calf. Moshe shatters the luchis, that's the 17th of Tammuz, goes back up on the mountain to ask God to forgive the people. Not that they weren't accountable, but he wanted forgiveness. He spends 40 days from Shivasar Batamas till Rishchidesh Al. And these are considered Yemei Kas, not days, not pleasant days, days of wrath. Because God did not acquiesce, did not give in to Mesha's request. It's one of the more mysterious periods in history because what exactly did happen there, we don't know all the details. It'd be interesting, but we do know that Mesha came down but did not give up. And he went up a third time. So it would be the first time it would have been Shavuos, the second time Shavuos Batamas, and now a third time today, <clears throat> or yesterday, Shechei goes up for a third time, and this time he would be successful, and 40 days end, 40 days from today is when? Is the 10th of Tishrei, the holy day, the holiest day of Yom Kippur, Achaz Bashone, when Hashem says, Salachti Kedvarecha, as we repeat three times and declare the night of Kol Nidre, 40 days, 40 nights from tonight, and that would be in Yom Kippur when God says, yes, I've forgiven as you, have, as you spoke, as you asked me to. So this is a momentous period in time. That's why this month is called Chedesh HaRachimim, the month of compassion. Because God showed compassion. He revealed to Moshe the Yud Gimel Midas HaRachimim. The entire account is described in Parshas Kisisa, in the book of Exodus, in the book of Shmei, Parshas Kisisa, Moshe's intimate interactions with Hashem, their dialogue back and forth, and he reveals to Hamesha that invoke these secret 13 attributes, the Yud Gimel Midas Arachmim, whenever you need something, which is exactly what we do in this month, and specifically we do it on Yom Kippur, specifically Yom Kippur, the end of the Yom Kippur, and Slichas and so on, but through this period of time, this is Chedesh Arachmim. It's also called the Chedesh HaCheshbin, the month of accounting, because we make an accounting in this last month of the year for all that we've done the past year. And it's also Chedesh HaAchana, a month of preparation to the new year, to Rosh Hashanah and the new coming year, upcoming year. It's a month where we also call the month of Melech Basada, when the king is in the field. So the Yud Gimamidis Arachmim, as the Alter Rebbe explains, in the Kutatayda Re'eh, actually on the pages, the Rebbe points out, Lamed Beis, Daf Lamed Beis, 
he explains that Lamed Bey's Lev, which is again compassion, like Tanya Lamed Bey's Lamed Bey's talks about love, which is Lev and love and Ave. In this case, and asked the question, what makes a Yontav for Yontav, for holiday? It's not just a random day chosen, it's because on that day, there radiates and shines and illuminates a particular Hamshach of Alakus. That's what makes it a Yontav. Since in Yudchedeshel, it's called the Chedeshel Why? Because then we radiate the 13 attributes of compassion, of mercy, so why is it not Yomtev? Month of El, all the days should be Yomtev. That's what defines a Yomtev. Hamshach of Elokus, an additional Hamshach, more than a regular day, when it's more concealed in garments. And he answers with the famous Moshe of Melech Basada, that before the Melech returns to his city, to his palace, his inner sanctum, he meets the people in Basada. So the Yud Gimel Midas radiate on our terms in the mundane, in the menial, in the mundane labor, as we work the fields, each of us in our own way. So in a way, it's a, it's like a higher Hamshacha, but Hamshacha on our terms, in our world, in our life, allowing us to access the king and ask him for everything we want. And he shows us a smile and a joy, as it's explained in the Maimorim, and the term, the, 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 as he explains, when the Rebbe explains from the Maimor in Tovshin, with Tovshin, with the Friedrich Rebbe adds and explains the Maimor of of. Um, so the month is rich with opportunity, with um, possibilities, the ability to achieve the thing that we all look for most, which is change, growth, to realize that we're not to recognize and appreciate that we're not stuck in the status quo. Life is not static. We have the ability to be able to grow and get out of any situation we're in, whether it's a negative situation or a positive one, to get even better and to grow. That's what this month is. And we have the keiches from above, yet yet the initiative has to come from us. And then we are guaranteed and we're told, I am to my beloved. That's the first and most famous acronym of Elul. I am to my beloved means we reach to our beloved and our beloved responds with the So we do have to take the initiative. However, it's a month where we have opportunity an abundant opportunity that we don't have other times of the year for some of the reasons I gave and there's more reasons as well. So during this month we increase in learning Teda, that's the end of the Pasuk, Sheshanim is also Halachas, but even more so, more, increase in Davening, which is also connected to Teda, as is brought in the Sichas and the Maimorim, the different meanings. So we increase in all matters of holiness, obviously in introspection, and we go through the step-by-step process as Moshe did on the mountain, recreating his journey in our own personal lives, and that is to be able to access a deeper force that allows us to transcend and allows us to overcome blocks or impediments or challenges or phobias or inhibitions of all sorts. That's what this month's about. It's also the mazel of this month is the mazel of love as well, Virgo. The mazel of psula, the virgin, which refers to the concept of marriage as well. In this case, like shirashirim is all based on the relationship between God and the human being as a relationship of spouses. So Elul has many messages and lessons in the context of chassidus applied, applying it to our personal lives. It's not just a month that we uh, do certain customs, we blow her shefer, or blow shefer and do other things that we do, add in and so on. It also is a time of deep introspection, a deep 
evaluation of a person's life and the ability to be able to achieve anything that we set our minds to. And Yom Kippur is the conclusion of this 30-day period, this month, and then at the 40-day month, the 40-day period, I should say, which of course breaks into 30 days of Elul, and then the 10 more days of Aserah from Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur. So it's interesting, Limoisha was, yes, was on the mountain on Rosh Hashanah and came down on Yom Kippur with the second tablets. So all this is an opportunity for all of us. People who often ask the question, how can I get out of my situation? I feel stuck. I feel trapped. I'm trapped in patterns and habits. Well, this is the month to do so. So obviously we need a willpower of our own and a certain resolute commitment. But there are times when you have more strength to do so, both to make the commitment and to live up to it. So being that we're in the second day of Rish Chedeshel, the first day of El, Reish is Reish, like Reish Hashanah, Chesidus explains, means not just Tchil of the month, it's not just the beginning of the month, it's the central nervous system. So this gives us power for the entire month. This is also the week of Sheftim, and as we've been doing the last few weeks, this year I decided to apply the Shiva Denechemta. So, so the Shiva Denechemta began actually the Shabbos after Tishabov. So really the second half of Av, which as I've mentioned a number of times, it's, it's Mazel, Aryeh, also builds Elul and Tishrei. Aryeh, Leo, which is the Mazel of, of uh, the month of Churban, of destruction, is actually the month of building through Aryeh, Rosh Tevis, it's a correct acronym, Aryeh, Al Aleph, Resh, Yud, Hey, Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yem Kippur, and Heshayin Rabbim. So we began the, se- the seven weeks of consolation in the, in the, um, right after Tisha B'Av, Shabbos Nachmu, and now we're in the fourth week. So essentially the next four weeks will be three weeks in Av and four weeks in El. That will make seven weeks, with, on leading up to the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah, when we'll conclude these weeks of consolation. And that will lead to two weeks of Tshuvat, Tredit Tiyufta, which is the Shabbos Shuvah and another Shabbos that usually takes place between Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot is two Shabbos. So interestingly, that it's all interwoven, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash and all the sad events that happened in Av and Tisha B'av and the three weeks and Shavuos and Betamuz, all becomes the seeds and catalyst and springboard for the growth of El, the compassion of El, as we said, Moshe was, why was he on the mountain asking for forgiveness? Because of the sin of the golden calf. When did that, be, that begin? That was the first tragic event that happened at the beginning of the three weeks, the 17th of Tammuz. And all the other events. And they all lead to, because the Chet Egel, which is a, in a way a uh, recreation end, in a negative way, reintroduced the Zuma, the toxins of the Chet Tzadas, of the, tree of the, the sin of the tree of knowledge, the dissonance and displacement that that created. And that concluded, of course, with the destruction of the temple on Tisha B'av. But it's not an end in itself. That's the beginning of the story. And what's Moshe's job on the mountain and during the month of El is to gain forgiveness and reconciliation after this break, after this loss. Which is why Hashem says, thank you for breaking these tablets. Because through the breaking of the tablets, he preserved the Jewish people, as Rashi explains, and explained in many places. So even though it was a break, the break was meant to bring a greater building. Sesa manas livnes, a destruction to build, bring even a greater base of English. And this refers to every break in our lives, every crack that happens, every wound, every injury, physical, spiritual, psychological, emotional, that happens in a person's life, has the ability and the capacity, that's what Ella teaches us, to repair, to correct, to mend, 
and to make it even stronger than it was before, because what happens in Yom Kippur is even more than what happened by Mat and Teda the first time. All this is the story of El. So Shiva the Nechemta fits right in. It's a consolation that came after that, those negative events that continues to be intensifying in these weeks of El, because El's mission is consolation. Not just to console, make us feel good, but consolation means to heal. It's a time of healing, and a time of growth. So where are we now in the fourth week of the Shiva the Nechemta? And according to the Medrash, Psikhtaraps, that Avud Raham brings, it's a dialogue, the seven weeks of consolation. is a dialogue between the Jewish people and God. And God first sends them the Nevi'im, the prophets, to console them, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. The Jews say, why are you forsaking us? Even though, you're, uh, even though you're consoling us, but why don't you come yourself? And after two weeks of, uh, after these three weeks, comes this fourth week, and what do we say in the I, God himself, not just one anechi, a double anechi, will console you. And I think you can assume immediately what, what that means. Where's the first anechi? Where do we hear anechi? Anechi Hashem Alekecha by Matan Teda. That happened before the break. That happened before the breaking of the tablets, which followed as a result of the building of the golden calf. There was one anechi. And even that's an extremely high level. Anechi Hashem Alekecha. As Siddhis explains, Alekecha is the way the divine manifests in existence. Imminent energy, divine energy. Havaya is the way the transcendent divine energy. And Anechi Islam is Leibashum Eizvim Anechi, when you say I, even Havaya, even though it's the Shema Etzem, it's a name that expresses God's essential essence. As opposed to Alekim, which is the God within nature. Alekim is Gematri Tateva. That Anechi even transcends Havaya, because Anechi says I, not even Ani, Anechi. It reflects something that's Leibah Islam is Leibah Shumais, Leibah Shumkais. It's a name that does not can be hinted in a letter or even in a dot, even in, a, in the crown on top of the letter. That's Matan Teda, because the Gilea of Etzim, the Gilea Atzmus, Atah Hareis Ladas, comes this week and we say, Anechi, Anechi, Humanachemchem, a double Anechi. Because Matan Teda was, in a sense, the Luchas Hashanah was the Aved of Tzadikim. That's when everything was going well. So one anechi was a tremendous revelation from the highest levels. However, once there's a break and once there's a mistake that was made, an error, a grave error, now the healing needs to two things. You need to reach even deeper and anechi, one anechi is not enough. You need a double anechi. On the other hand, you can say even deeper that through the negative, we come to reach even deeper inside of ourselves. And that's why tzaddikim, kabudim, why? They can't even stand, they can't even have the capacity to go there because it's a double anechi that can only come through the negative. So the chadchila, initially, you're not allowed to sin and do tshuva. But after the fact, it brings you to a place that even the first matan teda cannot bring. So to speak, the luchas of matan teda, I should say, not the first matan teda, there's only one matan teda. Matan teda of the first tablets. And the second tablets are far higher and far greater, which is why it says in many Svodim that when Moshe came down with the second tablets, that's when this glow on his face. He became a leader, not just a scholar. By the first, by by Matan, by Shavu, is the Luchas Hashem, by the first tablets, he was a Talmud Chacham, a Rosh Hashiva. By the second, he became a leader. He begged for forgiveness and gained forgiveness. That's a leader. 
knows how to be a shepherd of the people, even in their, even in their um, time of need. And that was a double anechi. What that means for us personally, it means that obviously God should bless us all. We should all have one a revelatory, good, positive approach to things. However, if we do break, something breaks, there is a betrayal. We betray ourselves or we betray someone else. We hurt ourselves or we hurt someone else. There's some form of destruction, some form of loss. So we're told, not only can you get back to where you are, you can get to a double anechi. A double. And double here, of course, in Gedusha doesn't just mean in, in quantity, it also in quality. Because you're coming after the break, so not just Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, which is also a double constellation, but from the prophet. Now it's from Anechi, a double Anechi. Many much more can be elaborated upon, but this is pretty clear and also very direct, relevant to the period in time, period in time which we are, which is El coming, after all the events that happened before, the sad events. It's also Pasha Sheftim. Sheftim, the Rebbe explains from the Sif Sikhayin, Alatera, that Sheftim Vesheitim Titl Chabachol Sharecha. You shall appoint in all your municipalities, in all your gates, literally, you shall appoint Sheftim, which are judges, and Sheftim, which are police, law enforcers. What is this in Aveda? In Aveda is the Aveda of El. What are the Sharechas or the Sifsekein brought in the Samach Tzedek and Eirat Teira? And the Rebbe cites it quite often. Chol Sharecha refers to the seven gates each of us have. There are only seven gates that connect us to the world around us. And those are our two eyes, our two ears, that's four, our two nostrils, that's six, and our mouth. Take away those seven gates, then we're a self-contained person. Think of a walled city. Nothing can go in, nothing can come out. So the gates, are the, gate, uh, the gates are the ones that allow things in. When we look at things, we see the world around us. Others see us. We hear things, we smell things, and we taste things, and we speak. Says the Mposuk, appoint judges and law enforcers and gatekeepers to make sure that what goes into your life is carefully chosen. That's the point of a gate. When you see a city, walled city like Yerushalayim, what are the gates for? The gates are necessary things to come go in and out. But you have gatekeepers because the wall, it's, a, it's a very holy city, a sacred city. As Al-Tareb explains in Tanya, the body is like a small city. It has a wall around it. And you have to be very careful what enters, what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, and what you speak about. So that's what the Pesach is saying, giving us directive, what we do in El. Especially after there's been a break, after there's been a fall, El tells us that's what you need to do. So right as we enter the first week of El, we begin right away. The lesson today especially is acute and profound because we are so exposed, overexposed, over-inundated, overstimulated by so much stimuli online, on the internet, technology, everywhere we go. We're not living in a small shtetl where there's already just a wall around our city. There's things constantly being bombarding us from all directions. Some things that are, uh, that are uh, permissible but not necessary and many things that are not, that are prohibited. So we are told create gatekeepers. You control your life. You control what enters your life. Don't think just because things are happening and you have eyes and ears and nose and a mouth Everything has to enter. No. 
Place them at your gates and be gatekeepers that make sure that what enters is appropriate. So with that, let us now go to some questions. And I'll first begin with a dedication. I always like to dedicate the program at the beginning, but uh, I'll dedicate it right now. Here's a dedication. A gracious dedication sponsored by Shmuley Wachtel in memory of his dear beloved brother Pinchas Elio Ben Gershon, whose yardside is on Rosh Chedesh Elul. Shmuley Wachtel has devoted nearly half of his life toward helping thousands of families with both simple and unique life insurance strategies. If you haven't met with him yet, you can call him at 786-302-1621 or email sam underscore wachtel at npcfinancial.com. Thank you for your sponsorship. And this is an opportunity. You know, we spoke about life insurance last week. And uh, the opportunity, if you have a business or you have a an, an, an cause or an interest or personal dedication, you want to honor a loved one or the memory of a loved one, it's an excellent opportunity. This program reaches many, many people and who listen to it intently. So you can help sponsor and make these programs continue to grow and make them possible. It's a free program, free service. So please, either you can dedicate, you can sponsor, corporate sponsor, personal sponsorships. Go to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship. Or you can call us at our office. I'll be happy to honor your request. And of course, it goes for a great cause, besides all the other benefits. With that, let me also announce that here's the opportunity, if you want to ask any question, any comment, anything completely confidentially, completely anonymously, go to MeaningfulLife.com slash MyLife. There you'll also find a wide array of resources, beginning with the archives of all free previous programs. They're all there, all the topics, all time-stamped in the YouTube version of the videos, which means you can go straight to the topic without having to listen to it all through a hyperlink, as well as all the essays of the past four years, and we continuously post new essays as they come in, and as I read them every week, three per week usually. Okay, those are the announcements. Let us now go to, to a few more questions, to a few new questions. And I will again assure you that all questions that have been asked will be addressed. And I'm trying to catch up, but there's always new ones coming. But I'm going in order as they have been received. From time to time, I may consolidate them in order to be able to just talk about a topic that's a different questions that are asked or follow-ups. But all those questions will be asked, so please do not get uh, dejected if you do not see your answer, your question answered. It will be addressed. I assure you, lean that then. Okay. Some cross-reference, first of all, to what I've spoken about so far, the lessons from the second day of Rishchei So episodes 30, 31, 34, 79, 80, 129 and 130, and 224. And regarding Pasha Sheftim, 80, 130, and regarding the Shiva de Nechemta, this is a follow-up, in a way, a continuation, a continuing story that we began in episode 222, 223, 224, and now we did for the week 4 and 225. First question, new question that's being asked is about evolution. Hey, Rabbi. Adam and Chava are the ancestors of all mankind, the entire human race. How do we explain all the diversity in physical appearance among their descendants? Well, let me uh, amplify the question. I assume the question is, since it's two people with the unique features, and here we see now millions, billions of people, seven and a half billion people, 
and the Ken Yirbu, and they are all the and the Empatsafeinus. Ain't they saying Shave Shovis? Empatsafein Shovis. Shovis. Their faces are not alike. So how do you explain such diversity? Actually, it's a question asked in the Mishnah. It's not posed as a question, it's posed as an answer, but it explains it. The Mishnah Sanhed in Daflamid Zayin says exactly that. It speaks about the Fikach Nivra Adam Yechidi. A person was created as an Adam was created as an individual, not in a group, to teach us all that each of us is an individual. And he says there clearly, he gives the example of like a mold. He's the mold, the human mold. And that mold, every person ha- is taken from that mold with a unique, particular, particular uniqueness. And that's why a person is responsible to say, The entire world was created for me. Not in an arrogant way, in a responsible way. And that when you save a life, it's like saving a universe. And when you, God forbid, the opposite, it's like destroying a universe. And makes it very clear that everyone was created literally means like the is a stamp. Think of it like a, the, a signet ring or a stamp of a, a king or a authority that makes an engraving a, an impression, a piece of wax. So he's the model. And that model everyone was created in and everyone was created with a different particular version of it. How is this explained? This is explained that the fact of the matter is the human being was taken, as the Torah says, was taken, God took a piece of earth, earth that really from all over the world. Remember that, that's important. Not just one clump of earth, but earth came from everywhere. It took earth from the, from the ground. Imbued it with the soul of life. So there you have, it wasn't just a piece of uh, one piece of earth and earth, you know, how, how different can one piece of earth be from another? Even earth, by the way, you go to different parts of the world, and even in one part of the world there's different levels of earth, different colors, different levels of moisture. You see certain things grow in certain parts of the world because of the soil is different than in other parts of the world. It could be a richer soil, a non-richer. So you see diversity right there. Once you include the neshama part, that adds even more diversity. Even though you could say the body is not affected by the neshama, but the point is that is the divine hand that shaped it. And shaped it in a way like a mold. So it's one mold, so we all have a similarity in the fact that we all have, thank God, healthy bodies are born, two arms and two legs and two eyes and the head. Melech, melech lev kovid, which is melech rosh tevis, melech lev kovid, the structure. And that all human beings are equal. And yet within that, there's, there's infinite possibilities. So think of it like musical notes. Same musical notes, but you can play them in so many different ways. In the language of Kabbalah, Esos what consists of the ten faculties of the soul, which evolve from the ten spheres above, so spiritual, spiritual faculties and attributes, is ten. But the ten can be combined in an infinite amount of ways. And as such, there is an infinite amount of possibilities. And you see this even in one family. Why don't you ask another question? You see, in one family, you could have children, the same parents, biological parents, they look very different. Sometimes color here is very different. Okay, you'll say there are some similarities. But there are similarities in the human race as well. There are people you meet, there are similarities, not even in the same family. So we all have common features, or you can say common elements. But the common elements, there's millions of different variations. Even identical twins are not exactly identical. Especially non-identical twins. So the point is that there's something that's in common among the entire human race, which traces us back to Adam and Eve. And then there's the diversity that each of us has, as the Mishnah says in Sanhedrin. And, uh, and this continues to grow, 
because as the different um, features emerge, so, you know, the machava may have been, let's say, dark, or they may have a certain color here. But remember, there are other strains included in that, because being created by God, God implanted in it many variations. It may take a generation or two for that to emerge. So as the genetic pool begins to diversify, even though it originates from the same source, the features, what becomes dominant, the dominant gene, the dominant feature becomes different. So that's where you have the differences between people. So you can have people, two people with blue eyes, but a small difference. And then when you compare the eyes and the color hair and the other features of the body, there you find all the difference, which is quite fascinating. That's the same face, but seven and a half billion different faces. Okay, what is it relevant to us in the language of Chassidus? That we each have something unique and individual about us, and therefore a unique responsibility. At the same time, we have something in common that connects us all. If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? Each of us has our unique look, our unique features, our unique strengths, our unique skills and talents. And then, if I'm only for myself, what am I? We all need each other. Using, the, again, the analogy of musical notes. Each is playing its particular music, but we need each other to play, to create the cosmic symphony. Okay, next question. Is the Rebbe's position on Zionism different than that of the Rebbe Rashab and the Rebbe Rayatz? Hello, Rabbi Simon. The Rebbe Rashab and the Rebbe Rayatz were opposed to Zionism. Then Hashem performed the great miracles of the Six-Day War, the Gulf War, the return of all Yidin from Russia, and the Rebbe encouraging settling all the land. How do you understand the change? Okay. Firstly, let me refer you in general to the topic of Zionism we talked about it in episodes 89 and 90. Let me first give an introduction about change in general. A Rebbe is more than just a person that is smart and intelligent and is knowledgeable and learned and a scholar. And therefore you could have, like you have in, in Teir, you have Shammai and Hillel, you have different scholars, different opinions. You're talking about a Rebbe's Anasabi Yisrael. You're talking about, especially in the context of the Chabad Rabbeim, Moshe Rabbeinu of each generation, Moshe Rabbeinu. And each generation has its Moshe. So the concept whether the Rebbe would change something from the previous Rabbeim is itself quite questionable. I would say it's obgefrekt, meaning it's not possible. Because as he says in Teir Shalom about the Alter Rebbe, that if he was in the generation of Tanoim, he would have been a Tana. And if he was in the generation of Amadoim, he would have been an Amadoim. If the Rebbe lived in the generation of the Alter Rebbe, he would have been the Alter Rebbe. And if the Alter Rebbe lived now, he would have been the Rebbe. In other words, each generation, the Rebbe of the generation, does what is necessary in that generation. Padnes lafi hador. So first of all, all Rebbes are one, fundamentally. Be'etzem. As the Rebbe says in the famous Rabbis Pasha Vayetzi, Yud Kislev Sicha, Tov Shin Yud. Tov Shin Yud. The Rebbe says... That why didn't he write Shalshelus Hamoyer on the Sharblat, on the cover page of the Kohos, of the Rasforim of the Rabbeim? says Shalshelus Ha'er. Shalshelus means the chain of light, not the chain of the luminary. The Rabbeim are Moyer, they're not Er. The Rebbe said he was asked, and he said, because in Moyer, they're stuck in Ishtalshelus. In the essence, there's no Ishtalshelus, it's all one. It's one luminary. It's one Meshe Rabbein. It's one Etzem. It's one Nosia, Imid Bein Nechem Bein Hashem Alekechem. Amamutsa Machaber. One interface. The Moshe of each generation. In Giluim, in the Eid of each Nasi. So we say the Alter Rebbe, as much as we can understand in these things, which we don't understand much, Alter Rebbe is Chochmeh, the Mitla Rebbe is Bina, the Tzemach Sadiq Das, the Rebbe Maresh Netzach, the Rebbe Rasha Abhei, the Friedrich Rebbe Yisod, the Rebbe Malchus. The different Ushpizin, each one has their role. But that's in their Eid. 
as they express themselves, reflect, but the etzim, the etzim is one. So the entire question to say that the Rebbe had a different attitude from the Rebbe, Friedrich Rebbe, who is completely makushar to, as a chosid as a Rebbe, on the Rebbe Rashab, and all the way to the Alta Rebbe, I think is preposterous. Like for example, someone asked me a similar question. The Rebbe said in the famous Vayeshev Tov Shenun where he said that in the time of the Alta Rebbe, the Alta Rebbe opposed Napoleon and supported Alexander because it would have been better for the Ruchnius of Jews, even though it would have been worse for the Gashmis. The Rebbe said today, this generation, we already come to a point where it could be Mevar Tzarfas. So someone once asked me, okay, so the Rebbe was, because the Rebbe was Kavyochel, more modern. So he had a different position. No, he didn't have a different position. That's not what he said. He said, the Alter Rebbe's times, it was not, worth, not ready yet. So if the Rebbe was then, it wouldn't have been ready either. And the Alter Rebbe was now, he would do what the Rebbe did, which now the time has come. Things change. The world has changed. So the fact that the Rebbe introduced, let's say, Shem Mrs. Menech, is because the matzah of the world is different. The chefts of the world is different. Not because the Rebbe is a different Rebbe. And you could even say the Abish descends the right Rebbe, and each time with the right education, with the right training, whatever you want to call it. The Alter Rebbe's union was what his union was, Shnei Eir, what he did. And, and so the principle, the idea that change is not, uh, in my opinion, so uh, I would say, I would, uh, I would uh, negate any such possibility. Now, so then why do we see a different attitude to so-called Zionism and Israel. And let's spell it out a little more. You look at, for example, in Kuntrus and Mayon, page 45 in the introduction, there the Friedrich Rebbe cites the letters and the letters, the, the, the manuscript and the writings of the Friedrich, the Rebbe Rashab in Tofre Samach Gimel. In Tofre Samach, he came out with a letter attacking so-called secular Zionism. And then he was met by one of the people who came to defend it, and the Rebbe Rashab defended his own position, why he's opposed to it, and then put it in writing. And it's quite harsh, quite strong. There's three tainas there, and the Rebbe Rashab answers each one of them. You can look it up yourself, I'm not going to go through the details. But clearly, for the different reasons, opposed it for the simple reason that the goal of the secular Zionism was to take it away, take Yiddishkeit away from Tehidah Mitzvahs, to turn it into something nationalistic, something cultural, something that, that, that you could be a complete Jew without Tehidah Mitzvah's Chaz Roshon. And that's what he was negating. And he felt it was undermining, as did other G'delim and other Jewish leaders, that it, was un, it would undermine the whole idea of Tehidah Mitzvah's, which itself was very, very fragile times in general. And you can read here the more the details. Friedrich Rebbe, though we don't have as much in writing as that, but we also have his position as was the position of others that opposed the term secular Zionism. Now I should add, the Friedrich Rebbe Rashab himself initially, before that opposition, was part of the founding of Agudis Yisrael, which was a religious brand that would, be, that would the religious Zionist, so to speak. But then he changed his position because he saw that it would be hijacked and would not have any say really or control over it. And of course, the issues continue to rage on today because you have people who are virulent anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, and you don't see the Rebbe being have that type of position. You don't see him. You see him receiving Zionist leaders, whether it's heads of state or the president Shazar, different government officials. You see the Rebbe supporting, meaning his chassidim paying taxes and supporting even going to the army. You don't see that type of opposition that somehow that wouldn't even benefit from anything from the Zionist government. 
So it seems, as the questioner asked, that there is a change in position. So how do we explain that? So a few points I'd like to make. Number one, we have to understand what was the opposition really of the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab's opposition is, and, and, and I would say the Rebbe's opposition is exactly the same, is to the principles and the values of these individuals that were leading that movement. And nothing to do with Tera. You're talking about secular people who felt, for whatever reasons, political reasons, and it could have even been good intentions, but they were secular people who had no respect for Yiddishkeit or Tera Mitzvah. They were part of a movement that we don't need, that we've outgrown that. And the state and its culture, and just another country, just like there's a country in Germany for Germans, and French, France for French, and England for England, Israel for Jews. And one of the proofs is because they actually didn't even want Israel in the beginning. Uganda was an option, and I think uh, Cyprus was an option. They were talked about uh, Cyprus, different options, until they realized that the Jews won't go for that. To go even further, and I don't like to speak negative, but if you read the original Zion, the original secular Zionist, and I, I don't even like the word Zionist because Zionist, the Tzian, Ev Tzian, is the we speak about Zionism. True Zionism is Tater Zionism. I'm talking about Zionism in the language of the cultural language of Zionism without Yiddishkeit, without Judaism, without Tater, without Halacha. Originally, they felt that the solution to the Jewish problem, which was assimilation, anti, I'm sorry, anti-Semitism, they felt was mass baptism. It only later became the search of a national state, of a homeland. So you see that these were people who either didn't, Tanegash and Nishbu didn't have any knowledge of what Judaism is all about, or may have been, had knowledge and had actually, had very malicious intentions, because they were like the masculine, some that felt that the Judaism now has to be replaced with a, with a nation, with a country, and with the culture and the politics of a country. And that's what defines Judaism. Just like there were different isms that tried to replace what we call Tehra Mitzvahs. So these people had intentions that, what do you think, a Jewish leader, if you're a Jewish leader, and your whole mission is to advocate and uphold and strengthen and bolster commitment to Tehra Mitzvahs, of course this is, goes against exactly all of Yiddishkeit. And you even feel it's a threat to Jews because Jews survived not on any ism, not on Yiddishism, not on culture, not on theater, not on nationalism. All these things never kept the Jews together. What kept the Jews together? It was the commitment to Tehra Mitzvahs, so wherever they went in the world. That's what kept them together. So of course you're going to go to battle, ideological battle against an ideology that you see not only as corrupt but destructive. Who would not go against that? The only reason that some religious people went along because they thought as some of the arguments that were presented to the Rebbe Rashab, that's true, a lot of it is something we can't accept, but the homeland part maybe we can embrace. And let's begin with that, and then we'll spread Yiddishkeit afterwards. But at the time, before there was a homeland, before there was the actual reality, it was an ideological disagreement, which makes total sense to, uh, under the circumstances. And there's no question that the Rebbe been then, he would have been the Rebbe Rashab and would have opposed it for the same reasons. And not only that, till this day, the Rebbe, and if you look at the Sikhs, opposes an ideology that compromises Tehra Mitzvahs. So what changed? Nothing changed from the perspective of the ideology. What changed was the realities on the ground changed. Realities on the ground, whether we like it or not, or whether, whatever the reasons that God in his mysterious ways, that 1948, yes, the partition, the UN partition, and maybe the Balfour Declaration before, created a reality on the ground that gave 
Jews a right to establish a state. How do we look at this state? Does it have any Torah value? Is it the state that Mashiach is establishing? Absolutely not. But to say that now you have a place and there's a kibbutz of Eden, a group of Eden, a million, two million, or then hundreds of thousands, doesn't matter the number. And today, can Yirbu over six million? More than any other place in the world to just ignore that and say, oh, I'm ideologically opposed to the concept of a secular state. There are Jews involved. And there's Pekuach Nefesh involved, life and death. And Jews need electricity and they need protection. They need police and they need utilities. So the facts on the ground, they're no different than the Crown Heights Community Council or a French Community Council or a Russian Community Council. A community council is necessary. Does it have tater value? It has tater value as much as any council has. But the tater value of what, in the words of the Rebbe Rashab regarding a different issue, Nishmetun Zerotzen Zaymeganin in Golis. Not with our will did we go into Golis. Nishmetun Zerotzen Velmeares from Golis. Will we leave Golis? Only the Abraham decides that. No Jew can decide that. So the idea of an Aschalta de Gul, that this is the beginning of Reishis Smichus Gulasenu, as the Rebbe puts it, Chazra Shalom, Rahman Litzlan, that not. The fact that the divine providence led Jews there and allows Jews to live there and it's thrived, obviously we recognize that. And we recognize also the miracles, whether it was in 1948 or the miracles in the later wars, especially in the Six-Day War, because the miracle of God is God's choice. God creates a situation in a defensive war and allows the Jews to win so much land and, and, and Yerushalayim and so on. That's a hand of God. We know this even, even if an anti-Semite, and I'm not going to compare, is a doctor and he saves your life, you make a bichas hanisim. You, make, you thank God for the miracle. God chose this messenger. So to say that Jews, even if they're secular, and even if they have bad intentions or whatever it is, I'm not saying they had bad intentions in 1967. It's not relevant to the point that God wants to make a miracle. Of course God can do miracles. God can do miracles in Gaulas just like can do bring the Gaula. That's God's choice. That we have to have a strong army and do whatever possible. Absolutely. It's a sacred duty of a human being to protect other people. But that doesn't give it a teredik and memshala. It's not a, a memshala like Malchus Beis David. King David or King Solomon or the other leaders that Hashem, God himself sanctioned. And this doesn't matter who the prime minister, even if the prime minister was a religious Jew and even if the parliament and Knesset was religious, that doesn't change this. Because only God decides when the goal is going to come and when he establishes Malchus Beis David, a Mashiach and a leadership that will be a Teredika one. But to say that we go to war against, God forbid, people who are protecting other Jews and creating an, a, an order and organized system? Absolutely not. So the change was the facts on the ground, and that's what the Rebbe responded to. Additionally, just as it was with other matters, even though intention, initially there would have been, there was a very deliberate war, you can say ideological war against Torah and Mitzvahs by many secular Zionists, not all, by some. Today you could say Tanekish and Israel don't even know anymore. They're completely ignorant. So now, once they exist and they are there on the ground, why not use the opportunity to try to speak to them about Torah mitzvahs? You think that Eber Hashab, if someone asked him, can I go speak to Theodore Herzl or to, to Nada or the others that he, uh, uh, that he quotes and cites and, on a private level to speak to them about bringing them to either put on film with them or something like that? Of course he'd say yes. But that doesn't mean you embrace their ideology, even if there's some redeeming factor in it. So the idea that we have now the opportunity to actually introduce people to Yiddishkeit 
Of course, why, why are the Jews in Israel, including the leadership, including in the government, even the secular, and even the people who are anti? Why, not, why shouldn't we use the opportunity to bring them as close to Yiddishkeit as possible? And do what we can. Now the opportunity is there. And learn Tata there and study Tata and build mazes of Tata. So I hope this answered the question. I elaborated a little more than I usually do because it's a sensitive topic. But the, the changes on the ground, and that's the only thing that there's to discuss in this regard, in this matter. And just as the Rebbe Rashab and the Friedrich Rebbe would do what the Rebbe did, did, same thing the Rebbe would have been then, of course there had been the same ideological opposition, and even there was the ideological opposition still remains. That's why the Rebbe was very against Aschalte de Gaulle or calling it anything, giving it Gaulle de value. Even though it's God's hand, and no question that many Jews coming from Russia and so on is definitely a form of kibbutz Goliath to gather in the exiles, but when you call kibbutz Goliath Gaulle, that's God's decision. Is he preparing the ground and helping me making Israel? Obviously, Bederechateva makes it easier when you have already six million Jews there. But that's a thin line between saying that we are playing God. We're not playing God. Only God builds the base of Mishashlishi and creates real kibbutz Goliaths. But God can do so and begin doing so earlier, just like Gilead of Chassidus started earlier, which is also a taste, a foretaste, like Erev Shabbos. Before Shabbos, you taste of the foods of Shabbos. Okay, next question. How to deal with loss? Why does the Tata speak only of Yaakov's devastation and inability to recover from losing Yosef, and not as applying the lessons of Laskil Chabincha to recognize a higher power and Ashgacha Pratis at work? So here's how the question was posed. Supreme Ashpia of the virtual Fabrengen, greetings and blessings. Thank you for your ongoing weekly virtual Fabrengen. They bring lots of light into the virtual universe and to the lives of your listeners myself included. I have a question that relates very personally to me. When I divorced through a series of manipulations of the court systems, my ex-wife took my daughter. Sadly, we haven't seen each other in years. I'm happily remarried for many years, have a beautiful family, and have a very blessed life, but always have a very sad part of my heart in the fact that my daughter isn't given the blessings of having a father in her life and me in hers. Adding insult to injury, her mother is presently not from and not raising her in the ways of Torah and So the pain is doubled. I take much comfort in saying to Hillam and in the lessons of Laskil Chabino, namely, that what appears to be tragedy and sadness has a higher purpose and is hidden but the ultimate of good. Recently, my ex-brother-in-law, who himself got divorced from my ex-wife's sister, wrote to tell me how lucky and blessed I am that I am not connected in day-to-day life with my ex-wife and her family, how truly sick and dysfunctional they are, and how they continue to try to make his life miserable. While he recognizes how hard it is for me to be separated from my daughter, he also sees how that separation has allowed me to rebuild my life and be productive. Sadly, he feels caught in a trap of lies, manipulation, and trickery, and yearns for the day to be free to resume his life. I can see the divine providence in my situation, albeit sad at the same time. My question revolves around Yaakov Avinu. When, why is it when Yaakov is sold into, Yasef is sold into slavery in Egypt, and Teda only, it's the Teda only, that Teda only seems to talk about Yaakov's sadness and inability to rehabilitate, rehabilitate himself, of his being in a state of being perpetually devastated by his separation from Yasef? Why don't we see Teda highlighting the fact that Yaakov is applying the lessons of Laskil Chabina to recognize a higher power at work? And the Cheshgach is at work. Was he taking that approach or was he just brokenhearted and in the doldrums? Again, thanks so much. May we have much simcha in our lives. God bless. Well, 
first of all, even though the Torah does speak about the devastation and how he was mortified by it, but let's, take, well, let's just talk about the end of the story. 22 years later, one of the reasons, one of the ways that Yosef signs, sends a sign to his father that he's still alive is by sending him agolis, sending him uh, wagons, to remind him of the egla roof, of the word egla, the thing they learned when they, last time they saw each other. What does Yosef say to his brothers when they finally reveal, he reveals himself to them, and they're so embarrassed in humility? He says, you didn't do this to me. Hashem sent me here to bring life to you and sustenance to you and our father. Who taught this Yosef to feel that way? Yaakov. So to say Yaakov did not have what Yosef embodied is obviously not correct. The fact that Taylor doesn't emphasize it, first of all, there are hints to it in different expressions. But even without that, Taylor Shabbat and especially when you understand the circumstances, this was Yaakov's whole life. He was a man of God. He realized it was God. That still didn't take away from the pain. Maybe the Taylor wants to emphasize that even though he knew it was an act of God, you could ask the question the other way around. He just accepts it and is never saddened. He was terribly saddened that it had to happen this way. But of course he surrendered to God's mystery as every tzaddik did. So Bikish Yaakov Leishev B'Shalva, he wanted it to be a peace, says Rashi right away, Vayeshev, Kofzolov Rukzashiyesev, because that tzaddik can't be at peace in this world. You think Yaakov didn't understand the message? His whole life was that, as he told later Pare, that his life was short and painful. So he realized what he had to go through and he realized there was a deeper purpose and he definitely understood it Obviously, in retrospect, after Yes, after you reunited with Yosef, so the fact that Taylor doesn't always emphasize does not mean it wasn't that way. And especially, as I said, it's also hinted to, and especially we see how Yosef himself behaved. So we learn from Yaakov all the elements. That on one hand, yes, we sometimes have to grieve. That's why we sit shiva. We don't just say God accepted it. God forbid when there's a loss. But at the same time, the big picture. There's always a bigger picture, and Yaakov for surely embraced that bigger picture. And you see it from his whole life. You see how he traveled. You see how his attitude. And you see ultimately when he's afraid to go down to Mitzrayim, Hashem says, I'm going with you and I will come back with you. All in Nila. And the 17 last years in Mitzrayim. I mean, he understood the Hashgacha Pratis of all of this. Yaakov was a man of Hashgacha Pratis, maybe more than, and in a revealed way, almost more than anybody when you look at his whole life story. Okay. Let's now go to some follow-up. Follow-up. Let's start with life insurance, which was last episode. So, I, to just sum up what I spoke about, there's nothing from the Rebbe against it. The Rebbe speaks about the emphasis to, on life as opposed to on death, the end of life, and actually learns lessons from life insurance. So here's some comments that came to us. No matter what, life insurance is a necessity. Every time I see charity campaigns for families that have lost loved ones and don't have funds, Fourth, I think, I can't help but think, why didn't they get life insurance? Even if you're young and healthy, life insurance for you, I can't stress it enough. So another person writes, I did not listen to the video yet, but want to add that a rabbi, insurance agent, once showed me in a safer, can't remember which one, as it happened over 20 years ago, that it is a school of a long life to buy life insurance. And the safer explains why, because in the days of Gaul, is the mazel Is with the goyim. In the days of gold, the mazel with the goyim, and the mazel in favor of an insurance company is that the insured live a long, long life, and the insurance to thereby, the insurance company thereby need not pay. Okay, special rates for anash. We see special plans for shluchim advertised. Why can't anash have access to discounted plans as well? May anash live in poverty compared to many shluchim. Many anash live in poverty compared to many shluchim. 
and a few other comments about supporting it. And as I said, I see no, nothing against it, on the contrary. And uh, that's why I just wanted to bring some of the comments. Good. Regarding bullying, this is another topic that we discussed in episode last episode. So someone says, look at the Geras HaTshuva, the end of chapter 11. He says, thank you very much on your weekly podcast. It's beautiful and touching to see how a chassid goes in the footsteps of the Rebbe and speaks publicly about Teirah and Chassidus and, and important, addressing important questions that people are asking. May many people learn from you. After Gimel Tamas, we yearn to the days of light of when the Rebbe was sitting and teaching a Teirah. And obviously it's not enough just to have yearning but the Rebbe wants to teach us that we also can do something like him, and we can sit and spread Torah publicly and address the matters of the hour, according to the language of Chassidus, and you are a living example for this. Thank uh, Much success in your Avedis HaKedish. Thank you very much. I actually didn't look in the chapter, at the end of chapter 11 in Geras HaTshuva, about bullied, um, it means I get a such Okay, I will look it up. Maybe some of you may know what that is. I should have looked it up. Sorry about that. Okay, psychology and chsidis. With regards to your discussion in episode 224 regarding psychology and chsidis and which stream of philosophy is comparable with chsidis, in an interview with Carl Jung for his 80th birthday, he said, quote, But do you know who anticipated my entire psychology in the 18th century? The Hasidic rabbi Baer from Ezrich whom they called the great Maggot. He was a most impressive man, end of quote. I don't know enough about Jungian philosophy to know, or psychology, you should say, to know what that means, but it is interesting. You can see the quote on page 271-272, C.G. Jung, Jung speaking, interviews and encounters with C.G. Jung. And there's a, a, a link here to online. I did not research this interesting quote. I would definitely want to verify and make sure it's correct. But thank you for sharing that. There was a follow-up regarding Pidyanus, and there's a follow-up regarding parenting. I'm going to push those off, again, due to time constraints. I'm going to go to the third part of the Chassidus question that we've been addressing the last few weeks. And um, very fascinating topic, and the question is regarding the difference between the Kabbalah of the Arizal and the Kabbalah of the Ramak. Or the Ramak comes first and then the Arizal. So let me sum up what we've spoke about. In different Sfarim, Kabbalah Sfarim, as well as Chassidus, talks about that there is a fundamental difference between the two. With the Ramak, with a few key points that are made, that the Ramak spoke in Toyu and the Arizal in Tikkun. The Ramak spoke in Nukudis, points, meaning the spheres as points, and the Arizal in Sphiris and Partsufim, structures, which means also, in a sense, that's tikkun, that it comes into a full-blown, interconnected, interwoven structure of Koliskalus. And the Ramak in the Kudus points. Also, Ramak is more like the Pshat. He gathered together the Pshat of, uh, of Kabbalah, and the Arizal is the Southern Kabbalah. And last week, we discussed, began to discuss the difference between um, the Ramak, who did not know of the Tzimtzum, and the Arizal, who did 
speak of as Machadish, the Chiddush of the Tzimtzum Hadishan, the great Tzimtzum. And essentially, in brief, is the Ramak's understanding of Pshittus of Elokus. Well, let's, let's make it clear. Understanding meaning understanding. For us, our understanding is somewhat still relates to existence, albeit in a very distant way. So Keser can be called Ainsof, and he says that Keser is more distant from Ainsof than Asiya is from Keser, but still, according to Chesedus, Keser is still closer to Ainsof. So there's some type of commonality, which explains, of course, our relationship with the divine, which is the essence of Kabbalah. How is it the relationship between the Odom Atachtim to the Odom Elyon? We have a relationship. The Arizal, by the Tzimtzum Arishin, introduced the concept of Einarech, Tzimtzum Arishim means that the Ere and Sof Lifnei Tzimtzum is completely of a different paradigm. And if you want to have existence in any form or fashion, including Kesar, including Ak, you need a Tzimtzum, a complete concealment. Complete. Not Kipshute. Because from the point of view of Eir, definitely from the point of view of the higher levels, the Tzimtzum doesn't impact. But from the point of view of the recipient, you need it to be a complete paradigm shift, a complete quantum leap which gives us a far deeper understanding in the Einarech of Elokus, as opposed to the Erech. That's one key difference between the two of them. And that's why the, the, the Pardis, the Ramak, speaks in Ilva'ol, language of Ilva'ol, like the Alter Rebbe says in the Geras HaKedosh Simen Chof. What does he say there? He speaks about the, that the Ishtalshlis in the Sphiris themselves, in the Kalim, is in the form of Ilva'ol. Whereas the Tzimtzum, Harishan, meaning from that is, I'll create that distance where you can't talk Ilvaol. Ilvaol is cause and effect, meaning there's some commonality from the cause to the effect. Now, the Ramaka for sure, and I'm going to speak about it a little later, more at length, understood that God is beyond it all. It's not like the Ramak had a limited, God forbid, understanding of God, except we don't have a relationship with that aspect. That's beyond us. So, paradoxically, the Tzimtzum actually gives us a more relationship with the infinite. The, 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 I would say the Eina Rechav Elokus than the Ramak. The Ramak focuses mostly on the, the existence as it relates to the divine. Okay. And that is all is the Eina Rech. And that itself, now that we know there's a Simpson, then we can start talking about Lifnia Simpson because we understand that there's this complete distance. So that would be a key difference. And in that context, doesn't seem that how could the Alter Rebbe say, and that's the two questions that we're addressing, is what's the difference, and how could the Alter Rebbe say, is Bechal Masayimona, in the Maimorim, uh, which is what I call it, the Maimorim Akhtsorim. Now, I want to just add a few more sources, and then elaborate a little bit more. There's a letter from the Rebbe Marash, a fascinating letter, which I want to quote right now, In the Igris Kedish of the Reb Marash, page 94, he speaks about a question that he's asked, and we should have talked about it another time. It's an interesting letter, a fascinating letter. Whether there's something, when you talk about a behemoth, an animal, whether there's one that once an animal dies, is there anything that it goes back to its source? Because from the Ramak, it appears it doesn't. And the Reb Marash is adamant to say that, that it absolutely has a source, and the Nefesh Abamis has a source. It's a different source. And he says there, Quoting the Alter Rebbe in the Alter Rebbe Zigeres 34 in his Igris Kedish. Not Igris Kedish in Tanya. In Igris Kedish that's printed 
page 89, that Rebbe Marash cites that he cites the words that these words that Ikir Halos Man Zeshla Halos Natsusan Lein Nisker Ela BeKabalos Harizal Levada, and that the Ramag did not know about Teyush Shvidas Hakelim and Birudim. So that's one thing I wanted to cite. I'm going to talk about this some more soon. Another thing is that I wanted to bring some more sources in Chsidis now. In Sidrim Dach, 217c, Reishud Zayin Gimel, he explains another difference between Ramak and Darizal, that Ramak associates Havaya only with Tiferes, whereas Darizal associates it with other spheres. And he explains the reason, the same reason. Because the Ramak spoke in the Iker in, in, in Toyu. He, he said that, that's why he speaks only in Teferis and not the other spheres because he does not speak about the Patsufim. In Eda Teda Eda, the Tzemach Tzadik 93b, Tzadigim obeys, uses the same thing to explain what that, why the Raizah calls Chesed, the same level that Ramak calls Gedula. Because Gedula is more related to Toyu, the Eda of Toyu. The Eir of Teyu as opposed to Tikkun. So you see here again the differences. So all this amplifies the question. So how do we say Bechal Masai to say that the Kibbal of the Arizal encompasses that of the Ramak? But let's go further with the Tzimtzum discussion. If you look in Pedic Beis and Tanya, there's a Hagah. A similar Hagah in Pedic Memches, 48, in Tanya, and a similar in Pedic Tes. Of Shai Yuchid Vamuna, chapter 9. And what's the theme there? That Alta Rebbe brings that the Rambam says, that God is one with his knowledge. And that's why Kulam Bechachma, so that's why he says that that's why in the that comes from Chachma, from the Moyach Ha'av, in this case the Moyach of Ola Machshava, is one with the divine. Because God is one with his Machshava, with his Das. But comes a question, and that's what the Haggah addresses in that in Patek Beis. And I said the similar idea. He says, "What about Kabbalah?" He doesn't ask the question, but clearly there's a question. That's how he a God comes to answer a question. In Kabbalah, God is not one with Das; He's higher than Das. The famous Maral that disagrees with the Rambam. You can't define the God by Das. So, so the Alter Rebbe writes, "No, that Chain Hiskimu, the Chachme Kabbalah, also agreed with the Rambam." With, with the Rambam. And he brings the Ramak in the Pardis, that God is one with the Sphiris. And then he goes on and says, milsa, this also is consistent and also can be, can be reconciled with the Arizal. Because the Arizal says, the Tzimtzumarishin, the Ramak you could say, because he's one with the Divine, because he's talking about how godliness is one with the Sphiris, because he has that connection. But that is all comes and introduces that symptom. The Ramak didn't know of it. Symptom symptom implies and suggests that God is completely the divine is completely Aiden softly from that symptom is completely not relates to any spheres. That's why you need a symptom. It's even milsa because once you have the symptom and once it's Naslabish, Aidis and Kalim, not Silas, you could say that that's also the case. That's what it says there in the Haggah, and he repeats that as I said similarly. Some Shinuim in Perik Memches, chapter 48, 48 in Tanya, and 9, chapter 9 in Shari Yechid Vamun. Now, there's actually, interestingly, 
So here you see again the difference between the Ramak and the Rizal. The Alter Rebbe makes it clear in the Haggad that the Ramak and the Rizal, the, or else he would have just put it into one, one fell swoop and say the Ramak and the Rizal. No, there's the Ramak. That, that fits with the Rambam because there's a relationship between the divine and, exi- and, and existence and Das and the Sphiris and the Rizal is higher. But then he says, in Atzilus, that is, I would also agree. Once it's Mislabish and Atzilus. So the question is asked, that part that he says also in Atzilus, is it also according to the Ramak that way? That Lamaila Matzilus, it's also not connected Das with Alakus? So it's actually in Eda Tere, Vaschan, on page 228, has two ways to explain this Hagar. Whether the Ramak is also only speaking Atzilis, and higher the Atzilis, he would agree with Arizal, which means that Ramak also has a sense of the Inarech, uh, or the Ramak, no, the Ramak is like the Rambam, speaks only as it's connected to existence, and you don't speak about how it's beyond that higher than Atzilis. And in Amonis Alakus, in Derech Mitzvah it's mashma like the first way, the second way, that the Ramak is speaking specifically in Atzilis and not higher. Okay. Now, let's take this the next step here. So what, do we, so what do we come away with with this? That there's two approaches, there's two elements here. Now, on an ostensible level, it would appear, okay, so different approaches of how to explain Agdus Hashem. That Amak speaks, like he says in Vayelech Samar Vov, more in that way, that understands Agdus in that sense. I mean, there's a, there is ultimately some relationship, but he does not speak about that which is completely beyond. That's Ein Sof. That's not in, it's not Keser. And that Rizal introduces Shalei Berach. Now, in the Ramak and that Rizal were teaching, you could say two schools of thought. But when you look in retrospect as it evolved, which is how Chassidus explains it, and especially with the quotations that I quoted, and I quoted from, um, let me just give you exactly the sources. I quoted from, um, one minute. The Drush of the Ari at the end of Eitz Chaim, and as well as the Agdomet Eitz Chaim, where he says clearly how the things evolved, the Shtalshus of Kabbalah, you clearly understand that in, in, when we look at it now in retrospect, these are two ways that are necessary in understanding the whole picture. And this would explain the Bechlam Masayimon. Why? Because even after that, Rizal explains the distance, we still, Rizal doesn't say there's no relationship with the divine, Mahu Chan As we just said, the Esosphere of Atsilis, there is a Hu Madahu Except that Rizal introduced something that's completely beyond. But even when you know what's beyond, that doesn't mean it negates that which is a relationship. That's why that Rizal has a whole explanation that there's a Kav, and there's a Rishimu, and there's a Rishin Kalim, and there's Adam Kadmin. And Tikkun and Patsufim. Why? Because that is coming to also explain that as much as I introduce to you now that it's completely, it's completely distant, the divine, that same divine also willed and wanted to have a relationship with us. So without that Izal, you can say we don't have that much a connection to the Inarech. In the Ramak, it's more of Erech, so to speak, like the Rambam. We speak about God as he relates to us, we were created in his image. But not that which is beyond the image, beyond the spheres. That is, however, introduces that which is beyond. But that doesn't negate what they taught us. And on the contrary, you can say that's the process. First, in history, we learned 
as though the sources I just cited, we learned more how we relate to God, so to speak, on our terms. We were created the divine image. As Kabbalah went further and got closer to Mashiach's times and the darkness of Golas, we dug deeper and we got revelation from the Arizal and those that came after him. That's something that's completely Shalei Be'erech. At the same time, that Shalei Be'erech also chose and wants to have a relationship with us. So now we have a whole full picture. So that's Bechlal Messiah Mona. Because that Izal also talks about the relationship with God and Atzillus and Edis and Kalim and whether the opinion that Edis, the, the, the reconciliation, Edis Pshutim or Edis Mitzriyarim. So the Ramak is more Pshutim because he didn't know of the Tzimtzum as the Rebbe explains in the Sikh of Bishalach Tavshin Tazvav. That Izal, because he, with the Tzimtzum he could actually explain that it, is, that it has a Tziyur because of the Tzimtzum. But he also speaks about a level that's beyond and higher than the Tzimtzum. So we have a much fuller picture of both the infinite the, the distance of the divine, its relationship with us, and how they both join together in one ultra unity. Because at the end of the day, Havayalikim, the infinite distance, is also connected to, the, to our relationship. So if you're talking as a philosopher, and you want to see the philosophy of the Ramak, the philosophy of the Ariza, looks like this is different. Exodus Taq acknowledges there are differences. But when you look at the whole picture in a holistic way, it all comes together. This is similar as the Rebbe Taka says in B'Shalach Tovshin Tezvov, which was a sikh after the Maimer. That year the Rebbe spoke the Maimer on Basilagani. He spoke about the Teirim Shlilim, Teirim Chiyuvim, describing God either with a name or by saying, negating a name from him. So he spoke about it. So he said that there's the famous three opinions, the Druz Gimel Shittas from the Tzamech Tzedek, where he could, the three opinions, whether it's with the Sviris are, are just the Kalim and not Eris, or the Sfiris are also an Eir, Eir also has a Tzir, or the Tivuch, the reconciliation between the Pardis and the Arizal, different ways, that, that the, the main Tzir is Mitzad the Keli, and the Keli also creates a Tzir into the Eir, that reconciles. So the Rebbe says, all of them are Eilu Be'el Divrel Kim Chaim. They're all true. One is Mamayla Lamata, that's Pshutim. Mamata Lamayla, Mitzuyir, has shape, has, the, has definition. And then the Kavam Tzoy, the Arizal, is both. What do you see from that? At the time, it was a machlekes between Mekabalim. And you say, this is one school of thought, another school of thought. But Chassidus and Kabbalah, everything is, uh, has a truth in its dimension. But especially in Chassidus, Chassidus comes and describes the whole picture, so then everything fits in. Sometimes we emphasize how it is beyond structure, beyond de- de- identity and definition, sometimes how it's part of definition, sometimes how it's a combination of both. Which is why... You, for example, when we say a bracha and mitzvah, is a mitzvah the divine will, or is it the specific mitzvah that you're doing? Which is more important? The klal or the prat? That all mitzvahs are equal in that? Or, So the answer is, it depends. There's sometimes we focus on the, this is God's will. Sometimes we focus on what He wants the specific. Sometimes we focus on both. All are necessary. And that's ultimately how we understand the same thing with the Ramak and the Rizal. So the Ramak, they all become part of one approach. The Rebbe says this also regarding the Kabbalah, let's say, of Emek HaMelech from Yisrael Surug. There was a time that Chaim Vital writes Befeders that he's the only one represented, authorized to teach the Rizal's teachings. And Befeders prohibited, and there were Kabbalim that would not look in Yisrael Surug's Kabbalah, Rabbi Yisrael Surug's Kabbalah. The Alter Rebbe brought from Emek HaMelech, I'm from Mishnah Chassidim, and he interwove it into one bigger holistic picture. 
So in that context, the Ramak plays a role in the whole unity. What, where is the Ramak's role? Like he says, with the Rambam. Why is Alta Rebbe bring that? Even though the Rizal is the final say, because you need to know that too. The Achdus and 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 that's part of also the picture. At the same time, we need to know that Rizal's approach, and that that Rizal in Atzilus he agrees with them, and yet we know there's something that's higher than Atzilus, due to the symptom that that Rizal was mechadish. Now there's more to be said about this, especially some very fascinating sikhs from the Rebbe which will tie it all together, and I hope to do that next week. And with that, maybe we can conclude the whole picture. I just want to make sure I covered everything here. Yeah. Yeah, and I also want to bring about something from Anas Rashelet and also from Rabbi Isaac Homlet on this topic. But we'll leave that for next week. And uh, let us go now to the three essays that we do every week. So we'll start with essay number one. Is it dark in here? Yechiel Ruderman, age 24, Jerusalem, Israel. He's a copywriter in the Misad Apirsum of Afikim, in the, in the publicity department of Afikim. So it's a Hebrew essay, Is it dark in here? And he talks about the Shitta. Of how to um, the to establish Hasidus in the in the light of what's going on in the religious and the very Haredish in the in the I'm sorry on the the different um, the upheavals going on in the world today. He says in this essay we will present the the the, the concept of fear and uh, yes and its effect on people, how we, how we look at the darkness in the world today, and all the charod, and all the upheavals taking place, and all the fearful events, and looking from the eyes of Chassidus. And he brings all these different upheavals in all different segments of society. Goes into explaining is chesher darkness, which includes all these different upheavals. Is it a substance of its own, or is darkness only the absence of light? Chassidus emphasizes also that it's a, an entity of its own. So though they contradict each other, in truth, is this two different levels of darkness. And goes on to speak about how you transform actually darkness to light. Speaks about the difference between fear, charoda. Um, uh, literally, uh, I guess, fright and, and, and fear, and how we can overcome it by understanding the different approach to darkness. And he speaks about it in the three steps. As we saw in the Nisoyen, when Avram was faced with the Nisoyen, a test, which of course terrified him, but then he realized it was just a test, so he went through different steps, and he applies those three steps of how to deal with darkness in our lives. Very interesting and unique essay. And comes to ultimately teach us that darkness, truly the substance of darkness, is truly another form of inverted light. And that's what we want to reveal. So this essay and all other essays can be seen at MeaningfulLife.com, My Life. We post them as they come, these new essays, as, they are being, as we read them each week, we post new ones. You can also get them when you subscribe to our weekly newsletter. The next essay is How Not to Hurt the People You Love, Arya Gorowitz, age 26, Brooklyn, New York, freelance writer.
He's actually the first place winner of the first year's essay contest. He writes, one of the most fundamental requirements for a leader of the Jewish people is his sensitivity. From Moshe Rabbeinu until the Rebbe, our leaders have been renowned for this quality. While we may not find it likely that we could reach the level of sensitivity that they displayed, we can and should certainly try to emulate their ways. In this spirit, in this, spirit this essay will provide a practical approach to being more sensitive to other people based on a key insight into the nature of pain. This insight is explained by the Mittler Rebbe in his discourse, in his discourse titled Padre Vishalom. So he talks about the chassidus on the source of pain, your pain and your needs, practical steps toward greater sensitivity. He's a good, great writer. Arya is a great writer. And uh, of course, he lives up to his reputation. A well worth reading, well done as well. And um, the third essay is from the Hasidic approach to self-control, Hanaman, age 16, Montreal, Canada, student, 10th grade. Contemporary issues she addresses, lacking limits. Looking at the wedding Viennese table, scanning the extravagant delicacies and watching everyone enjoy themselves, you can't can't seem to decide whether you should take the chocolate fudge ice cream or the delicious chocolate and cream bar. You decide to try both. Nowadays, many people are unable to control the quantity and quality of the food they ingest. They feel helpless. Is it even possible to control one's desires? And goes on to say the Alta Rebbe and Tanya lays ground for the fundamental principle with which one can learn to have complete control over his desires. Applying the principle of chassidus, the mind governs over the heart. And goes on to explain the methodology for self-control according to chassidus. Dominance, not prominence. Practical practice. Again, very practical one, and I believe could help many people deal with, this, with these challenges. I always say help because we all know these are difficult challenges, but yet these essays... The effort invested and their practical suggestions are really enlightening and empowering. Thank you for that. So with that, we conclude this um, episode 225 of my life. We're here every week from 8 to 9 p.m. Everyone should have a real compassionate, mellow besoda, accessible and beautiful, blessed Chedeshel, a month of love and only love and beautiful uh, experiences in life. Everyone be blessed, and until next Sunday, everyone have a frelichen and a chedesh a chedesh el. Thank you.